pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness and grace bringing us through another week. We ask for your strength and your direction in our lives that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. That is the truth and the blessing and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going through the book of Galatians, and I encourage you to turn to your by in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, and uh, just a few moments of overview here. We start back in chapter 1, and uh, we have taken the title to deliver, I'm sorry, verse 4, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Now I ask you, does that not describe the day in which we live? Do we not live in a present evil world? You don't need to say amen to that, because we're not happy about that. Uh, Oh me, or yes sir, I mean, it's where we are, and God has promised to deliver us from that. That is His will, is deliverance from this world, an ability to live in the world and not be of it. We don't have to face the same problems the same way the world does. God wants us to do it differently. And Paul is laying a foundation here And what is going on, of course, as we've uh, studied this, is there were people that came into the churches there in Galatia and began teaching them that your relationship with Christ, and if you really wanted to understand what being a Christian was all about, you needed to go back to the Old Testament and become a Jew in order to have a real relationship with God. And, of course, Paul is dealing with that. He he starts out in some of the strongest wording in the entire Scripture. He says, if anybody preaches any other gospel, he said, if I come back with a different message than that which he have received, it says, let him be accursed. Now, that word accursed means condemned to hell forever. And we, we live in a world where people are changing. I remember several years ago, I got a letter from one of our uh, churches that had supported us. It says, our church, and it put the name of the church in there, we now have two books, The Purpose Driven Life and our Bible. I said, whoa. But at least he was being honest. Because everything that has changed in that church since that point came from the Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren, I think was his name, uh, who wrote that book. And it went from one of the strongest mission churches in the entire area to uh, one of the strongest rock and roll churches in the entire area. It's just terrifying what people do in order to, quote-unquote, 
reach the world. And we don't change our message. We're not changing our doctrine. And uh, sometimes this is said a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, there is an element of truth. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it ought to be good enough for us. Amen? Uh, If this is what he taught, and we are studying what he taught, and he told the Galatian church somewhere before 60 A.D. this letter was written, That if anybody changes anything, if anybody tries to tell you a different way to get to heaven, a different way to serve Christ, let them be accursed. That that ought to be a warning. And so many things were taken. He said, even if an angel from heaven... Now, where have you heard that one before? That an angel from heaven showed up with divine revelation. Well, the devil always copies the Lord, doesn't he? And last week we studied about that God gave his word. He brought, sent angels to bring that word. It was ordained in the hand of a mediator. He chose Moses to bring his law to his people, Israel. And we... uh, of course, he, he condemned the Galatians. He called them foolish. He, he, and he presented the place and the working of the law. The law was our schoolmaster. If you believe, and Jesus said this, he told the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees who were condemning him, he says, if you believe the law, you'd believe in me. He said, but you don't believe the law. In fact, it wasn't too long after that, if I'm remembering correctly, and maybe uh, I'm not, but it's there in in another passage for sure. He, He called them the children of the devil. He said, you are of your father, the devil. You're not of God, because if you were, you would worship me. You know, believing in this book called the Bible ought to make us do some things. Now, guess what? How many of you wish that all you had to do is pick up a Bible and you'd live a perfect life? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You wouldn't be tempted anymore. You'd never make another... Well, that will happen. But when that does happen, your service for Christ will be over. You'll be in heaven. And there you'll never have to worry about any of these things. Why does Christ put us in a situation where we have to struggle so hard against ourselves and against the world and and against everything around us? Well, it's very simple. You couldn't keep the law with your own effort. You can't serve Christ with your own effort. You see, the law is still teaching. It's still confirming. It's still showing us that in everything we do, we must be on our knees at the foot of the cross. We must serve Him. I think of that old uh, the quartet song sung by Glory Bound several years ago. 
uh, I'm fighting battles on my knees. He's, uh, and uh, I, I just, I love that song. He said, it's not my plan. He said, but that's my captain's instructions. And, and uh, I, I think the author of that song, oftentimes we have to correct the songs and say, well, I mean, the, the intent was great, but the words are off just a little bit. Uh, but that song got it. That's, that's what the armor of God is about. Is teaching us to pray. And so we come here to the end uh, of chapter 3. And it says that there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Aren't you glad that nobody gets saved a different way than someone else. You know, in New York State, it is the only state in the Union, I believe, that does this, but they have a different set of laws for every different kind of religious denomination. You see, there are certain things that hold true across the board, but... Uh, when you write your papers as a Baptist church, there's one, there's several sections of the code that determine how we organize our church. And if you're a Catholic church, they have a different set. You see, a Baptist church, no individual is allowed to own property. The church owns the property. And if the church dissolves, the property then has to be put back into uh, that uh, a different work, and, and that all has to be approved. Do you know in the Catholic Church, uh, Dolan owns the whole thing personally. Every bit of property is in his name as the representative of Rome. Now, that means legally he should be able to sell all the property, put the money in his pocket, and head to Rome. Not going to happen. Uh, they have other laws about moving excess cash out of the United States in one time. You can't do it. Uh, but those are, those are different laws made especially, and, and the men that put this state together way, way, way back in its very beginning under the Constitution and before, got the leaders of the different denominations and say, how are you organized? And then they copied it down and made the laws fit the different religions. It's actually not as bad as it may seem. But, that's not the way God does things. Aren't you glad God's Word's simple? If you get saved, you get saved the same way. There is no difference. And uh, so, we get saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And it says, if ye be Christ... Then are ye Abraham's seed, heir, and heirs according to the promise. Now, what is the promise? Well, we go back here, and it tells us that the promise, in verse 14, is the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that will have its ultimate fulfillment... 
in the New Jerusalem because God is going to live in the New Jerusalem. The light of the city is going to be the Lamb of God and those that have faith are going to walk in and out of that city and be obedient to Jesus Christ fully under the control of the Spirit of God. Tell you what, it's going to be a wonderful day. Amen? Now, Paul goes back to dealing with the problem. In chapter 4, I have entitled this section, Arguments Against the Behavior of the Galatian Church. Paul has now laid his foundation, and he says, listen, if you want to be an heir of God, if you want to be the true seed of Abraham, you must be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not you... That's God. Now, he starts with the argument of what an heir is. Now, how many of you know what an heir is? An heir is someone who stands to inherit someone, something. Uh, they are the one that is listed. And uh, uh, so, it says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant though he be Lord of all. So, let's uh, go back to uh, classical England. Uh, We have Henry VIII dying, and his son, Edward, is now the king. Now, Edward doesn't last very long because he's very sickly, but we have a child who's in charge of a kingdom. How does that work? Now, Edward was actually, it's a poor example, but let's say the king dies and his son, Josiah, from the Bible, was eight years old. Do you think the counselors came to Josiah and said, Josiah, uh, we have uh, a problem. The, the, The armies of Israel are marching against us. What do we do? Would you ask that kind of question of an eight-year-old boy? Would hope not, right? Well, no. Even though he's in charge of everything, he's not in charge of anything because he's got two different groups of people telling him what to do. Number one, tutors. How many of you like school? Isn't that great? But let me tell you something. There is an end to school, right, Andrew? After 17 years... Uh, there is an end to school. Then you get to graduate to the school of lifelong learning. Amen? And, and there never ought to be an end to that school. But he's under tutors to give him knowledge and under governors. Now, these governors make decisions for the heir because he is not of age. We would not let the future of an entire kingdom hinge on the whims of an eight-year-old child or even a 15-year-old child. Could you imagine what would happen if a teenager ran the country? I mean... It could be worse than what we have. 
Enough said. Amen? But here's the position. He says, even if you're an heir of all things, and you're a child, you're not in charge of anything. People are in charge of you. And he is using this as an illustration that Israel, under the law, even though they were Abraham's seed, even though they were heir of all things, they were under tutors and governors. Their governors were supposed to be their kings. Their tutors were supposed to be the priest. And when the kings loved God and did the things according to the Scripture, and the priests loved God and did things according to the Scriptures, Israel prospered, did they not? And when they disobeyed God and did not things according to the Scriptures, they suffered. And that's the history of Israel in a paragraph. And he says, when they were under the law... Until the time appointed of the Father, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. He said, we were in bondage to things that we do. And what he's explaining here is, if you have heard the teaching of some people, they will teach that you got saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law. And that you get saved in the New Testament by faith, as if they were two entirely different separate things. Let me tell you, if you could get saved by keeping the law, then why did Jesus die on the cross? We've already been there. We've already covered this territory. But if you had faith, would you not be obedient to the written Word of God. Amen? Isn't that what faith does? And if the written Word of God said, bring your sacrifices to the priest, then that's exactly what you did if you had faith. I've often asked people this question who believe, I ran into quite a few of these people over the years who believe you get saved different ways in different time periods in the Bible. And I said, well, what did Daniel do? Did Daniel miss out on heaven? By the time Daniel reached adulthood, where was he? He was in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. He was one of Nebuchadnezzar's counselor. David, from the t- I mean Daniel, from the time he was just a young man, was taken captive out of the land of Israel... He was brought into the land of Babylon and he never returned home. Never once did he offer a sacrifice, even though he continued into the reign of Darius and the temple was rebuilt in Daniel's lifetime. Did Daniel miss out on heaven because he didn't offer his sacrifices in the temple? I think you'd have to stretch some scripture pretty far to get that now, wouldn't you? But what did Daniel have? He had faith in God that kept him pure when he was tempted to eat the king's meat and kept him safe when he was thrown in the lion's den. 
This is what Paul is trying to tell us. That, listen, they were in bondage. If they were going to be obedient to God, do you know that the law told them how to dress? The law told them every part of their life. That's what all those 613 laws were all about. It governed every portion of your life. And if you were going to do those things, it told you what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. It, it told you everything. It told you what days you were supposed to come to Jerusalem. It told you what sacrifices you were supposed to offer. And, and people uh, make a big deal about tithing. But if you'll study what was in the Bible, the offerings that were commanded by the law exceeded the tithe by quite a little bit. And especially if you believed in peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings and, and, and all of that, you could, you could give a huge portion of your income just trying to keep the law. And Paul said, we were under bondage to the things that we did. But when the fullness of time was come, remember the law was the time filler between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. God's time clock is not ours. He said, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, do you get this? He said, Jesus was made... Under the law. He was made of a woman. His birth was different than the birth of every other human being that has ever lived. He was the virgin-born Son of God. He was not born in Adam's image. He was 100% man, 100% God, all at the same time. You say, how did he do that? I don't know. We do know that he had to veil his glory because if he didn't, every sinful man on earth would have died at his presence. We know that he suffered hunger, he suffered thirst, he suffered every, all the pain and the suffering on the cross. He suffered as a man as well. Somebody said, how could God die? Well, God didn't die. That was evidenced on the third day when Jesus came back out of the tomb. Amen? But He was man. And He died under the auspices of the law to take its judgment. We go back to verse 13 of chapter 3. He was made a curse for us. He took all of God's judgment so that we would know longer be under the law. We are now adopted. You know, someone came up with this a while back. He said, if you're born into a family, you don't get to, uh, your parents don't get to choose you. But if you're adopted, your parents get to choose you. And, and that idea here is that God has chosen to bring us into His family. You see, if we study the Bible all the way through, 
You are born into God's family. You're adopted into God's family. And you are purchased from the slave market of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't be any more gods than that. Amen? Uh, in, in every aspect that we want to look at, Christ is trying to show His love for us. And it says here, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His sons into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, I love the way and, and the translation of our King James Bible. That word Abba is the most intimate term that a child would use for their father. And of course, some of you may remember the blasphemous rock group that chose that name for themselves uh, and uh, because they wanted to be the father of rock and roll. And unless you're a certain age, you have no idea who those freaks were. Amen? Uh, but the simple truth is our translators did what was called a transliteration. They took that word and just brought it into the English language. And the reason why they did that was because it seemed just a little irreverent going, my dearest daddy, to God. You can look up the word and understand what it means. But they wanted to preserve that. They wanted us to know that God wants that close, intimate relationship with His children. Now, we could spend the whole night right there, couldn't we? And we should. God wants us. He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. He wants us to draw close to Him. He wants to be close to us. You know, sometimes as a father, you just have to let your children struggle. Now, you don't do it in such a way where they can hurt themselves. But every once in a while, I mean, I, w I wish we could keep the attitude of the little ones all the way through. It's, can I help you, Daddy? Can I help you? And then as they get a little older, do I have to help you, Daddy? Do I? And... Uh, a lot of times they'll say, oh, Daddy, can I help you with this? No, son, this is a table saw. This is a very dangerous tool. I really don't want to be picking up little pieces of you all over the side yard. This is scary stuff. And then I'll usually set them up on the steps and just turn on the switch. And when they hear that big motor go, they go, and run inside. I say, I say, I told you, it's a dangerous thing. You can't help me with this. Not until you get old enough to know what to do and what not to do and to be trained and, and all of these things. But sometimes 
They'll grab a hold of a big box of something, toolbox or something. Let me carry this, and they can't carry it. And you say, isn't that too heavy for you? No, no, I, 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 uh, yeah, it's too heavy. Now, aren't you glad that God is patient with us like that? But here's what he wants us to do. And this is Paul's first argument. Under the law, you were like that little child. Israel was the child. He hadn't come of age yet. He had to be under the governors and the tutors, actually the tutors and the governors, until Jesus came and fulfilled every portion of the law. Now, you are no longer under the law. You are no longer a servant. You're an heir of all things. Do we get that? Somebody wrote a song. I've never heard the whole thing, and I don't think I could stand to listen to it even if I had it. was, just give me a little shack in the corner of heaven. You know what? That borders on blasphemy, does it not? If you really understand the message of the book of Song of Solomon, it's about the bride who had tried to work and accomplished the duties that were given her, and the only thing that she accomplished was making herself unfit to live in the palace. The king had to send her out with the flocks for months so that the marks of the sun and all of those things that made her unfit made it a scandal for her to live in the palace with the king. You see... It would be a reproach, not only on the character of the king, but on the character of his people, to bring someone in the palace who looked no different than the common slave. You see, the king has a reputation to uphold. And the same is true in a family, is it not? I remember my dad sitting me down on more than one occasion and saying, now listen, we may not be this and we may not be this, but you're my son and you're going to behave like this or I'm going to make you wish you had. And you know what? My, My dad was concerned about me doing right, but he was also concerned about his reputation. He wanted sons that would love God and serve God. You want me to tell you something? God wants children that will make people think better of Him. And in order for that to happen, He's got to deliver us from this present evil world. Do you see the connection? This is what Paul meant at the end of chapter 1 He said, when he said, and they glorify God 
in me. They took my testimony of who I was and what I was. And one of the reasons why Paul was so animated here as he was condemning the foolish behavior and even calling it bewitchment was because he at one time was the most zealous keeper of the law alive. And in order to find Christ, we read this in in Philippians, he had to give all of that up and now the Galatians are trying to go back and do the things that did not help Paul get one bit closer to Christ. Do you understand why he was so upset now? This was his life. This was the struggle that he struggled with to serve Christ. And he is giving us, he says, listen... Your sons, your heirs to everything that is God, and you want to act like servants. That is an insult to the character and the goodness of God. Are we together on that? This is the first argument that Paul is presenting here. The next one starts in verse 8. It says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon your labor in Vain. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He said, now let's go back before you guys were saved. Before you heard the message that I preached unto you of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, when you served in those temples, when you served in those false religions, you had a whole list of things that you did and don't do. And oftentimes when I'm trying to witness to people Uh, I'll uh, try to bring this up. I said, listen, all religion, all false religion is this. It is doing things to either make yourself pleasing to God or in some instances, as in the Buddhist and the Mormons, to become God. You, You are doing things. Now, They fight wars over the list of things, do they not? That's the purpose of these religious wars, is my list is better than your list. But still, whether you're Islam, whether you're Catholic, whether you're uh, Rastafarian, whether you're whatever excuse for religion you might come up with, you are trying to make yourself pleasing to God or become a God. And Paul says, now that you know God, but much, much more importantly than you knowing God, the fact that He knows you. How many people here know Barack Obama? I mean, if he walked in the room, how many of you would recognize him? There'd be anybody here that wouldn't know who he was, what he looks like? Is there anybody in this room that Barack Obama knows? If he walked in the back door and, hey, Pete, how are you doing? I think half of you would have a heart attack. So would I. (laughs) 
because I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I know who he is. And that's where most people are with God. And Paul says, listen, you've realized all these false gods that you served are nothing. You realize that there's one true God, but I want to remind you of something. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He knows you. Read the Sermon on the Mount. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows every thought you ever thought. He he knows everything you will have or have not done. He knows it all. I like what Brother Thompson used to say. He knows everything about me. And he still loves me. Now Paul says, how in the world do you justify? Number one, acting like a servant when you're a son. How do you do that? That makes no sense at all. In fact, it's an insult to God. And on top of that, how in the world do you go back and just change your list of dues for a new list of dues and go right back to the same attitude of trying to please God by the things that you do instead of having faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? He said, I'm worried about your salvation. There are lots of people that make a profession in Christ. The Bible says they believe, but not to the saving of their souls. That's a terrifying verse. But you know where I get comfort? I just did what the Bible said. Amen? It said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So, Paul's second argument here is, how in the world can you make your Christianity all about you instead of all about Jesus? Do you think Paul knew Rick Warren? No, he didn't. But he already knew about the philosophy that is in his book. And he destroys it right here in these very few verses. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. You did this when you were unsaved. We are not, true Bible Christianity is not just a new to-do list to make yourself pleasing to God. The only reason you're pleasing to God is because Jesus came in God's time and set you free from the law and gave you the adoption of sons. God has put His Spirit in your heart. He wants to have the closeness that a real father has with his child. You know, many people in our society today have never experienced that closeness. There's problems in the home. There's problems 
Let me tell you something. You may miss it in this physical world, but you don't have to miss it in the spiritual world. God is there. And I don't care how old you get, his lap is still plenty big to hold you. Amen. And when that doesn't work, he'll carry you. Because he is strong enough to do it all. See, those are the first two arguments that Paul gives. He's got several more before we finish here. And we're going to just stop right here because our time is up. And uh, Lord willing, we'll uh, pick up there and uh, continue on. But, but I want to challenge you to think about this. Paul is trying to prove that it's not about the things we do. It's all about Jesus. Do you live that way? Do you pray that way? Is the struggles in life handled from the viewpoint of my father can solve this problem? Or are you trying to solve your problems? I'll tell you what, it was a whole lot easier when my dad took care of it. I mean, he had a way of doing things. I remember just one quick little story. Um, I was just running some little errand and uh, some hotshot older teenager thought he was going to pick on me. Well, he didn't know my dad was watching from the car. And I got back in the car and my dad said, what did he say to you? I, I said, I wasn't listening. He said, I'll, I'll take care of this. He pulls up, rolls down the window and says, what were you doing to my boy? I'll tell you what, that guy... I don't think he was right for a long time. I mean, he's just standing there shaking. My dad didn't even get out of the car and stand up. You know what? That was fun. Watching that boy's face. And church just turned as white as a sheet of paper. He thought the end was coming, and very soon. But you know, there were other times... When it wasn't someone else doing the wrong thing, it was me doing the wrong thing. Now, let me tell you something. That wasn't fun. But he was still my father. And I thank the Lord to this day that my father was man enough to believe his Bible and set me on a path that was straight. Amen? And that's what God wants to do with you. We are His children, not His slaves. We serve Him because He loved us, not because we're trying to earn His respect. Tell you what, that's a terrible thing to live in a home where. No matter what you do, it's not good enough. God's not like that. Now, you can do it to yourself. 
That's what Paul's preaching about here. Or you can just surrender to be that child. Isn't that what he said in the book of Matthew? Except you be converted and become as little children, you should not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what he wants you to do. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for your love. We thank you for what you have done for us. And Lord, we just ask now that you would help us to live each and every day by faith in your word, in your love, and in your character. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just have the piano play. If you've